Bradley. Good evening. Thank you, Jeff. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33, and we'll meet there in just a few moments. I want to encourage you to continue remembering those uh, that have been out door knocking today. I'm not exactly sure how many were over at the Old City Park. Um, I'm going to guess 25 or 30 of our folks. Um, when I left there, there were probably uh, 15 or more uh, visitors from the community. Uh, and when Bradley was asking uh, about it, uh, I told him in all the doors that we've knocked, that I've personally knocked uh, in since we've been doing door knocking, since I've been here, uh, today was one of the most uh, beneficial uh, to me. We, uh, uh, the group I was in, we knocked over here at May Rose Apartments, and <clears throat> it was interesting uh, the, the the contacts that we made. <clears throat> uh, one one young man stands out in my mind. We knocked on his door and began talking to him. Told him where we were from, what we were doing, and uh, he said, "Yeah." I'm, I'm from Corinth, and uh, I, I used to go to Meg Street Church of Christ. And uh, Greta's from Corinth and uh, used to do some things with that church and knew a few folks there. And so I thought, this is good. So we need to follow up uh, on this young man. This is a young man that uh, evidently is not going anywhere at this time, uh, but uh, it, it seemed interesting. Knocked on the door of a 21-year-old young man, and he said, you know, I've not been in church in a while. Probably need to go. And so we gave him information about the church. And so uh, hopefully uh, hear from him, a young man named Spencer. The other young man's name is Michael. Uh, think about those. One building that we came up to, we saw at the top of the stairs, uh, several people up there talking. And so uh, we walked upstairs and we just started talking and uh, asking them about if they had any prayer requests. And they said, oh, yes, we do. We do. This lady's daughter uh, is in jail. Been there about two months. Been on drugs for about two years. They're helping raise the, their kids, her kids, and they're wanting prayers for, uh, for their daughter. They're wanting help. They're wanting her to get in rehab. And so we're going we're gonna to be working with them and trying to connect them with uh, some resources that we have uh, connections with and try to get them there. And th those were just a few. Uh, but several, several uh, great opportunities. I I'll tell you, I've never been in that apartment complex over there, but there's, there's some young families. There was babies, uh, a lot of people uh, over in that. And very few of the ones we contacted today uh, when we asked for prayer, they was like, no, I'm good. I, I mean, it might have been two or three. The rest of them, they talked about things that they needed. Uh, and so we made some great contacts today. Just That's just in my group. Um, and, and the other half of my group had some great contacts because when we walked by one building, we heard them up talking. And so that, that's just uh, the group that I was in, we made some great contacts. And I, I'm just looking forward to hearing the contacts from the other groups. But I want to encourage you to be praying for these individuals. Um, you know, I hope we keep to have the opportunity. It may not be uh, every month during the summer, but I hope we have opportunity to keep knocking doors. Uh, because the more I go and the more I knock on these doors, I believe people in this community are beginning to know where the Savannah Church of Christ is at. And beginning to know that there are people that come in this building and, and we just don't come in here looking good, just to look good, but they know we love the Lord and that we're out seeking people 
And we're out seeking to pray for people and to raise individuals up to Almighty God. And I'm just hoping and praying uh, that we uh, restore some of these that have uh, been in church before. Uh, and also those that may not have been in church much, that we can um, lead them to Jesus and that they will give their life to Jesus and be buried with Him in baptism. And so we're praying for that. And we're looking for those opportunities and we're looking for those doors. But if we don't go and seek, then we never know. And so I just want to encourage you to think about that. It is a challenge. I've told you that before. It's, it's out of my comfort zone. But every time I go... I am blessed. And every time I go, I see opportunities. And every time I go, I see uh, that the church is beginning to be known, uh, not just a building across from the high school. That's our location. And so people are knowing we are out and we are about and we are seeking. So I want to encourage you to keep uh, praying for that. Encourage Michael and Ashley and and all those involved in leading that, um, because it, it, it is beneficial. It takes time. It takes time, but we're getting there, I believe. And so I just want to encourage you to please encourage those that are involved, and please pray and ask God uh, to continue to open doors and giving us the opportunity to help people. Listen, um, we can look on the news, and we see what's going on in the world. We see what's going on in government, but... Um, when you knock on doors in our communities, I want you to know there are people here hurting. There are people here that are lost and they're wondering where to go, where to turn. And every time we knock on that door and we say, we're here representing Savannah Church of Christ and we're just going around the community and we're asking if you have any prayer requests. And we get to stand there and pray with them. And another lady just come to my mind. She was asking Denise, please come back and visit. She has cancer. She's going blind. Please come back and visit. And she said as we were walking out the door, it gets so lonely. It gets so lonely. And so there are people hurting. There are people needing direction. And we are His instruments. And so I just want to encourage you to continue praying for those efforts and encouraging those that, that are out there doing that. The other day, I went to the doctor's office. Uh, when you have a CDL license, every two years you have to get a physical. And one of the things on that physical, Jeff, you know, one of the things on that physical is they make you stand at one end of the hallway and at the other end they have this chart with all these letters and then they say pick a line and see which one you can read. Oh, well, I'm a little bit competitive and I wanted to read that bottom line and I kept telling her, I was like, look, I almost can read that bottom line but it was just too small enough or either I'm getting just old enough that I can't read the bottom line anymore. And then especially you go and you cover one side and then you uh, have to wait for that eye to focus and my eyes are getting where it takes longer to focus and I'm sitting here rubbing. I'm like, I know I can see it. I know I can see it. But you got to say the ones that you can see. How is your vision? If you go to a regular eye doctor, then they have this machine they put over your eyes and they look into your eyes and they see deep into your eyes and really what's going on more so than reading the chart. But vision is important, isn't it? I'm reminded of a story of a, a little nine-year-old girl who grew up in a time of segregation in our country. 
I mean, it was a time when um, she wasn't able to go to the best schools. It was a time when if her family was able to go out to eat, one group of people had to sit over here and one group of people had to sit over there. It's an un unfortunate time in, in our history. But one day her parents said, we want to take our daughter to Washington, D.C. to see the White House. And so her mom and dad, they took turns, stayed up all night, drove all the way to Washington, D.C. so they could see the White House. And they stood out there in front of the White House. They finally got there. And this little nine-year-old girl stood out in front of that White House. Somebody actually took a picture of their, her there outside in front of the White House. And she turned and she said to her parents, One day I'm going to work in that building. And you know what? She did. She became Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. And she did work in that building. She stood there as a nine-year-old girl and she had vision. She had vision of what she wanted to do and what she had planned to do and she set her mind to it and she fulfilled that. You know, God wants us to have vision. Over the last week, one of the things that's been brought out in some of the classes or lessons that I've been a part of and listened to is the idea of how easy it is to become complacent. You know, Condoleezza Rice, as a nine-year-old girl, she didn't stand out there and, and, and she had that dream and then become complacent. Was it easy? I'm sure there was difficult times. I mean, she grew up in the days of segregation. I'm sure it wasn't easy. But she didn't lose vision. You see, God wants us to have vision not to be complacent. He wants us to be able to look in our community and see there are people in need. There are opportunities to share. We need to have a God's vision for our life and for the church. Ezekiel here in Ezekiel chapter 33, he was called to be a watchman for the people. He was called to have the vision of God for the people. And as we think about vision tonight, I want us to think about and focus on three qualities from Ezekiel chapter 33 that we need to have in order to be a people of vision. You know, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, and I want us to begin in verse 7. Verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, So you... Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall bear a, hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So the first quality we need to be aware of or have as we become people of vision is the idea of awareness. We need to have the ability to see. Uh, sometimes, like we talked about this morning, uh, someone can make a response like Judas did, and he can, uh, with that response, may have looked impressive, 
may have seemed like a sensitive guy because he mentioned something about the poor. Maybe he was just good with words. And so we have to be aware with what's going on. Uh, and God called Ezekiel to be this watchman. you got to be aware, he says. you you got to know. Listen, if I tell you to warn someone, warn this wicked person, you need to do so. Because if you don't and they die, then I'm going to require, your blood, their blood is going to be on your hand. Vision defines mean, defined means the act or sense of seeing. A mental image produced by the imagination. I like that definition. To be a watchman, Ezekiel had, the, had to have the ability to see. God told him, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now hold your finger there and I want you to turn over to the book of Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. God gave him this vision. But I want you to think back to Numbers 14. I want you to think back to Joshua and Caleb. Do you remember when the 12 spies were sent out? Joshua and Caleb were one of two that gave a favorable report when they went to spy out the land. Notice what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 and following. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out was exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That was the report of Joshua and Caleb. How were they able to have that, that report? They saw the vision of God. They saw that God had already told him that the land will be delivered in your hand. But the other two, they said, uh-uh, no. Or the other, the other ten, no, 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 no. They're giants there. We can't overcome that. These people are too big. They are giants in the land. And Joshua and Caleb said, listen, let's not rebel against the people. They had the vision of God. They saw the same thing the other ten did. They realized they were giants there. But they were able to look past the giants and see a land that was flowing with milk and honey. They were able to have the vision of God. But what about us? Do we have that kind of vision for our lives? For the church? For the community? We're, we're sitting here participating in some things that, you know, for a while anyway, hasn't been done like the door knocking things that we're doing. The House of Hope's about to, to be started. A lot of people are given to that. A lot of opportunities to serve. A lot of opportunities to make connections. What do we see when we see these activities? These opportunities? Are we optimistic or pessimistic? There's a story about a a young boy who brought home a report card. It was full of bad grades. His father said, What do you have to say about this? Well, one thing's for sure, Dad, the boy replied. You can be proud. You know I haven't been cheating. He had a different vision, didn't he? He was optimistic. 
Although his dad was a little bit pessimistic. So what are we? Are we optimistic? Are we optimistic when it comes to uh, the vision of the church? Are we optimistic when it comes to the vision of our life? You see, Satan speaks to that little part in our brain. He says, oh yeah, but you know what? you got those giants in your life. Look over there. Don't you see those giants? You're not good enough. You can't overcome those things. And God says, listen, I want you to have a godly vision. I want you to look past the giants. And I want you to see how big your God is. I want you to see the land flowing with milk and honey. For you and I, that would be having an eternity view in mind. God wants to bless us. God wants to open doors. The question we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing? Am I ready? And am I willing? If I am, the doors will be open. If I'm not, the doors likely will not be open. Ezekiel had to be aware of what was going on. He had to be able to see, and God helped him with that. The second quality that we have to possess in order to be a people of vision is attitude. We need to have the faith to believe. Look at what happened in Ezekiel uh, 33, beginning in verse 10. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from, their, from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? It appears that the house of Israel, they were making excuses about their disobedience. They had been disobedient, God, and now they're making these excuses. Maybe they thought, give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they thought, you know what, I'm too far in sin. We're too far in sin in order for us to turn from our ways. Maybe they lacked the faith to believe that because they were so far in their sin, that God couldn't forgive them. You ever been there? Have you ever seen people there? I bet those that go down to the jail sometimes see people there. They feel like they've messed up so much that God can't forgive me. Maybe you've had friends in your life, they, they've disobeyed God so long, they said, God can't forgive me. And you and I know the reality. You see, if we have vision, we know the reality is they can be forgiven. And our job is to call them. Listen, there's a better lifestyle. There's a better way. And Jesus is His name. And He wants you to turn and not rebel against Him. And you can be saved. You can be forgiven. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I love what Paul said about Abraham. In the book of Romans, chapter 4, Paul says this, For those... Who are of the law are heirs. Faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith in Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he, whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it is accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. What a beautiful picture there Paul gives about Abraham and what he did by faith. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. And Paul said that, that example is not just for Abraham, and not just for the children of Israel. It's for all of us. Abraham had no idea how God would give him, or when God would give him that son. He just believed. Oh, there were some setbacks. There were some sidetracks, you remember. But he kept believing. I read a story uh, about a person uh, who was talking about conquering the new world. And they were reading the diaries of some of those conquerors. And they said, there were many days in those diaries that said, and we sailed on. In other words, they kept going. They, the next day may have been the same as yesterday, but they kept going, kept exploring, kept looking forward to the future, kept trying to have a vision of what might be. And then, as a result, here we are today. You see... Abraham had the right attitude. In fact, Charles Swindoll says something about attitude. He says, Words can never adequately convey the incredible impact our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become. Now listen to this. That life is 10% of what happens to us. And 90% how I respond. You think attitude's not important? It is. 90% is how we respond to the things that happen. The 10% of things that happen. He said, listen, I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. I can't control what my co-workers do or say or act, how they act. I can't control what those that I'm in school with, how they act, what they say, what they do. But I can control how I respond and what I do. He said, it is more, attitude is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my success or failures, fame or pain, what other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position, attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. When my attitude is right, there is no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me. 
So every time the door's open and we come in, whether it's working outside or working inside, or whether it's, it's, it's just simply being here as a, a part of the worship service, or whatever service we're doing, or Bible class, what is my attitude? What do I see? What's the vision I see for this church? And will I be a part of it? Will I be a part of it? God has a vision. Will I be willing to be a part of it? We have to have the right attitude. Maybe it is sometimes we need to lay aside some bad attitudes and refocus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Hebrew writer would say. And then the third quality tonight that we need to have to be people of vision is the quality of action. We need to have the courage to do. Joshua and Caleb had courage, didn't they? They were ready to go. But the people wouldn't listen. In Ezekiel 33, notice in verse 12 and following. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteousness works, righteous works will be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right... If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turn from, uh, from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from this wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Ezekiel reminds, or God reminds the people through Ezekiel, listen, if you turn from your evil way, and turn back to the Lord and be faithful to the Lord, you will be forgiven. You will not die eternally. But if you are living right and you turn from the Lord, you turn from righteousness, and you begin practicing and living in wickedness, you beware. You will die eternally. And he says the people look at that and say, well, that's not fair. And God says, my way is fair. You say, you need to see things like I do. You need to have the vision of God. God tells Ezekiel to tell the people, He who has done what is lawful and right shall surely live. You see, sometimes this part gets difficult because a lot of times, like the children of Israel at times, we like things our way and we like things to stay the way we like them. And God says, I need you to have the courage to get up and do. And that's not always easy. I think about what the Hebrew writer says uh, about Moses. Uh, do you remember what, 
what Moses went through. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 24, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. Uh, verse 27 says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You remember, Moses, he had courage. He killed the Egyptian. He thought now is the time to be the deliverer. But God needed some preparation for Moses. Moses needed to learn how to be a leader. And God taught him. It took him 40 years. But God taught him. And then God called him. At that time, Moses had gotten comfortable. He didn't necessarily want to go, but God said, it's time. I've trained you. It's time. You need to have the courage to do. You see, courage is going forward in spite of fear. I think Martha will learn that. She didn't quit serving. She kept serving with eternity in mind. She knew it wasn't about Mary. It wasn't about Lazarus. It was about her relationship with Jesus. And now she could serve, not worried about all everybody else, but she served with joy, having a vision of God. God asked these Bible heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, He asked them sometimes what seems to be impossible. But what if these biblical heroes didn't want to move beyond where they were? You see, Noah would have said, I'm sorry God, I don't do boats. Moses would have said, Sorry, God, I don't like people. David would have said, God, I don't do giants and I don't do kingdoms. I'm just a lowly shepherd boy. Mary would have said, I don't want to have babies. The Son of God, are you kidding? You see, sometimes the biggest Goliath in our lives is ourself. It's ourself. We wake up every morning and we look in that mirror and we see the same person that we saw yesterday. And we fail to look beyond the reflection and see what God sees. To see a person created in the image of God. Listen, if there were ever an image crisis in our nation, it's now. People all over our world are worried about image And when we can look past that reflection and we can see somebody created in the image of God, it will make a difference. It'll make a difference in what we see. It'll make a difference in our attitude. It'll make a difference in our courage. And it will help us to be a people of vision. Paul Harvey tells a story. One summer morning, Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast. 
He gazed out the window and he saw a small girl being swept along a rain-flooded drainage ditch beside his Andover, Ohio home. Blankenship knew that the farther or the farther downstream that <clears throat> this girl would go, there was a ditch that disappeared with a roar underneath the road and then emptied into the main culvert. Ray dashed to the door and raced along the ditch, trying to get ahead of the young child. Then he hurled himself out into the deep, churning water. Blankenship surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm. They tumbled over and over. And within about three feet of the dashing water going down in the culvert, Ray's free hand felt something, a rock or a limb or something. And it was attached to something. He grabbed hold of it. The current was strong and it was pulling at him. And he thought in his mind, if I can just hang on until help arrives, we'll be okay. But you know what? He did better than that. He pulled the girl and his self out of that raging water to safety before the fire department ever arrived. And when they arrived, they were both treated for shock. On April the 12th, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. The award was fitting, the article says, for this selfless person was even at greater risk to himself than most people knew because Ray Blankenship could not swim. That's the courage to do, isn't it? In spite of fear. That's the courage to act. The courage of vision says, Lord, if that's you, let me come walking on the water. The courage of vision is to say, as for me and my house, I don't care what everybody else is doing. We will serve the Lord. The courage of vision is to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? The courage of vision is to say, the trials of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory of the next. What a thought. What a thought. I don't care who it is. I don't care how great a preacher they are or not or how great a Bible class teacher they are or not. Every one of them have always talked about the storms of life. And every one of us know that the storms of life will come. Maybe you've experienced some of those. And becoming a people of vision says, I have courage to realize that the trials of this life are not worthy. Worthy, not worthy. To be compared with the glory of the next. Do you remember that story? And they sailed on. You see, being a people of vision, we realize, I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's happened in my life. But it can't compare to eternity. George Barna said, Vision for ministry is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build His kingdom. Vision is the ability, someone said, to see what others can't. Faith to believe what others will not. Encourage to do what others say can't be done. That's vision. And God wants us to be a people of vision. You see, anybody can start the race. But they don't give out the awards 
until the end. And it's not going to be easy. But when we have vision, we can accomplish it through Jesus Christ. Do you have vision for your life tonight? What about for your children or your grandchildren? Do you have vision? Do you have vision for church? Do you, for the church? Do you have a godly vision for your life, your family's life, and for the church? Or what about do you have a vision for the lost? God is opening doors. Do we have the courage and the vision to go through those doors? God wants us to have a vision for the church. He wants us to be able to, like Ezekiel, to warn those who may not be living according to God's Word. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be arrogant or downgrading. Because Jesus wasn't. Oh, He was to the pious religious people who thought they knew it all. But to the sinner, He had compassion. He had a vision. And He said, I can give you a better life. And that's what we need to do. When God opens those doors, have the right attitude, be willing to act, have the courage to do. Tonight, there's a vision of you giving your life to Jesus. So that you can be washed of your sins. You see, maybe sometimes we don't talk enough about lostness. Maybe sometimes we don't talk enough about what sin does for a person. It's nothing good, really. And it separates you from God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. What better time than the present? We want to see you give your life in faith and obedience in that watery grave of baptism to rise in newness of life. Going on your way, guess what? Rejoicing, the Bible says, because now, no matter what happens in your life, you can view, look past those storms and you can see eternity. Maybe you're here tonight and Satan's piled a lot of things in your life. We've prayed for several people this afternoon that lack direction. That have problems in their life and they just simply need help. Maybe you're in that case tonight. And you want the church to pray with you and pray for you. We can do that. Maybe, maybe you just want to rededicate your life to the Lord. There's no better time than the present. I remind you, this morning, we talked about the possibility of having only one week to live. Jesus faced that. What changes would you make while we stand and sing? I am resolved.